What do we see in the movie theaters we remember? The single-screen theaters that dominated the main streets of rural America and the small inner-city neighborhood theaters of the burgeoning nation. The theaters were there. They were part of the landscape of America. Hi, I'm Kate, and welcome to the Picture House podcast, where we discuss the architecture, design, and history of America's early cinemas. We hope that telling the stories of these places and the people associated with them will help you explore their place in our collective memory and our communities today. We will look at the theaters that were, so importantly, as Michael Putnam's Silent Screens puts it, part of the landscape of America. Our first episode also happens to be the first in a mini-series on an early chain of neighborhood theaters in Hampton Roads, Virginia, the Wilder Theaters. We'll briefly discuss the general idea of neighborhood theaters and provide some background on Wilder. Let's begin. The Neighborhood Theater For the first half of the 20th century, urban American cinemas generally fell into one of two categories, movie palaces and neighborhood houses. We'll touch on both types in many of our episodes, but for our first series, we'll focus on the neighborhood theater. While the extravagant movie palace dominated for much of the 1920s, by the end of the decade, modest neighborhood theaters well outnumbered these majestic downtown marvels. The popularity of the neighborhood theater can be partially attributed to the rise of chain theaters, and its ultimate success in the 1930s was arguably hastened by the Great Depression. As the Depression firmly gripped America, major movie studios of the day pivoted away from construction of opulent picture palaces, instead concentrating on smaller venues, whether through new construction or remodeling of existing buildings. The so-called neighborhood theater was, well, just that. Located in a primarily residential area, a single-screen cinema, much simpler in design than its predecessor movie palace, served those in its immediate vicinity. The convenient locations of these theaters meant that patrons could walk or easily take mass transit to them. This was in contrast to making a special trip downtown to the movie palace, which, during the Depression, would have been a luxury. To bring folks in off the street, the building's exteriors often employed bright marquees, elegant ticket booths, and even decorative tiling or sidewalk embellishments. The theater interiors followed a basic rectangular plan divided into a lobby, projection booth, and auditorium. An average neighborhood theater's seating capacity was 8 to 1,200 people. Comfortable, but not particularly lavish lobbies made patrons feel at home, while throughout the place, the decor was elegant and understated. Now, this is not to say that the neighborhood theater lacked architectural charm or evidence of fine craftsmanship. But simply, in the 1930s, it became something of function over form, so that moviegoers escaped into the movie rather than the theater. The beginning of the 1930s saw a slight decline in moviegoing, due in part to the changeover from silent to sound, as well as the beginning of the Great Depression. However, cost-cutting measures and moviegoer incentives, as well as the wider shift from centralized movie palaces to dispersed neighborhood theaters, contributed to rising attendance by 1934. This growth continued throughout the 1930s and the war years, lasting until about 1948. These smaller, simpler neighborhood theaters subsisted on second, third, and sometimes even fourth-run showings of hit movies weeks and even months after their initial releases. These types of theaters, along with rural, small-town theaters, accounted for most of America's movie theaters during the 1930s, 
and as mentioned before, kept movie going strong through the 30s and 40s. William S. Wilder and the Wilder Theaters William Stanley Wilder was born in Portsmouth, Virginia on October 31, 1890. He got his start in the theater business in 1907 at the age of 17 when he began working as an after-school usher at Portsmouth's Orpheum Theater. Wilder quickly worked his way up, becoming head usher at Norfolk's Colonial Theater, and shortly after that, its advertising agent and manager. In addition to marketing the theater and its product, he occasionally operated the spotlight system and even stepped in as an extra and a featured singer in the vaudeville acts showcased at the Colonial. Wilder worked briefly at other theaters, including the Wells in Norfolk and the Strand in Richmond, before returning to Norfolk to manage the Strand, America, and Norva theaters. Then, in 1928, he built the Newport Theater, the first of five theaters that he would open, either through building or acquisition, in Hampton Roads between 1928 and 1936. Arguably his finest theater architecturally, Portsmouth's Commodore, was built in 1945. We'll discuss that theater in an upcoming standalone episode. In addition to the Newport, Wilder purchased the Gates in Portsmouth in August of 1929. In 1932, he began operating under lease the Warwick Theater in Newport News, ultimately purchasing it in 1936 for $50,000. He bought the Virginia Theater in Portsmouth in 1935 and built the Collie, now known as the Narrow, in 1936 in Norfolk. In the early 1930s, Wilder also briefly operated the Grandin in Roanoke, Virginia. Although his movie theaters were located almost exclusively in the Tidewater area, he appears to have had some standing in the industry beyond just Hampton Roads. In 1934, he was appointed as Virginia's representative on the Motion Picture Code Authority Clearance and Zoning Board for the Washington District, which covered Virginia, Maryland, Washington, D.C., and part of West Virginia. And in February of 1937, he was elected president of the Motion Picture Theater Owners of Virginia. Later, during the war years, he operated the Center Theater at the USO Auditorium Building in Norfolk, showing movies and presenting vaudeville acts for service personnel. Wilder owned and operated his theaters into the 1940s, and as previously mentioned, in 1945, he was able to build the Commodore in Portsmouth. This theater is architecturally the most notable of his theaters, a fine example of the Art Deco streamlined modern style. Unfortunately, Wilder was not able to enjoy this pinnacle of his work for very long, as he passed away the following year at the age of 56. However, his wife, Elmira Brown Wilder, took over operation of the business. She ran it well into the 1960s. From 1945 to the early 1960s, no indoor theaters were added to the Wilder chain, which isn't completely surprising given national trends. Hollywood boomed throughout the war years, and in 1946, two-thirds of Americans went to the movies at least once a week, garnering the major studios massive profits. But it didn't last for a number of reasons. Inflation, a rise in domestic production costs, changes in spending habits, the baby boom, suburbanization, antitrust suits against the studios, and the dawn of television all chipped away at cinema attendance throughout the late 40s and early 50s. By the end of the 1950s, TV was a more popular medium than movies. The Wilder Theaters did, however, build a drive-in in the northern part of Norfolk. 
Wilder's Drive-In at the northeast corner of East Little Creek and Meadow Creek Road, operated from July 1948 until late 1964. And in 1963, the 750-seat Princess Theater was constructed along Virginia Beach Boulevard as part of a shopping center in the Lynn Haven area. The building still exists today. Like many old theaters, it's now a church. In November of 1965, Wilder Theaters completed construction on a new theater in Norfolk at the site of their former drive-in. The Garden Theater was very similar in style to the Princess, and it seated around 700. By the late 1960s, the Princess and Garden, in addition to the Commodore and Portsmouth, were the only theaters still listed under the Wilder banner. The construction of these last two theaters also followed national trends of larger, standalone theaters in suburban shopping mall-type settings. Of the late 1920s and early 30s theaters Wilder was associated with in Hampton Roads, only the Collie, the present-day Nero, remains. We'll talk about that theater in more detail in an upcoming episode. Although I'm not entirely sure when Wilder Theater ceased to exist as a company, I think getting into the late 1960s presents plenty of relevant history for our purposes. So now, let's take it back to the early neighborhood theaters and consider this. Wilder opened his first theater in February 1928. Eighteen months later, and just two months before the crash of 29, he purchased his second. He subsequently built or took ownership of additional neighborhood theaters in Hampton Roads in 1932, 1935, and 1936, by which year he employed more than 60 people. Based on the fact that Wilder was able to continually open these theaters throughout the Depression years, one could surmise that he was quite successful in his endeavors. This is also supported by the fact that the business continued to operate and build theaters later in its history, even though it trended away from neighborhood theaters. Now, while I suppose it's possible that, in the 1930s, Wilder was operating his business at a loss, the evidence I found suggests otherwise. For one thing, he was able to build the architect-designed Commodore in 1945. It's hard to imagine that he could have done this if he were drowning in debt, racked up in the 30s. And, available notes on his personal wealth indicate that he actually did quite well. He reputedly had one of the finest yachts in Norfolk, and was able to purchase a couple of thoroughbred horses for his children. In addition, in June of 1942, he purchased the John Miller Majory House, a 1906 Scottish baronial-style mansion on Crystal Lake in Virginia Beach. The Gilded Age estate was reported at the time of its construction to be the largest and finest residence in southeastern Virginia. Wilder's family lived in the house until 1967, well past his death, which suggests a certain amount of financial security. Side note, the house is today known as Greystone, the name the Wilders gave it in 1942. The house is situated on a piece of land known as Wilder Point, and its address is Wilder Road. End side note. And let's not forget that, under the direction of his wife, the company was able to construct two architect-designed theaters in the mid-1960s. The most interesting thing to me about William Wilder's theater business is that it seems to have played a part in the proliferation of neighborhood theaters, particularly in Portsmouth and Norfolk, in the 1930s. We'll give more details on this in our next episodes. At the height of the Depression, Wilder brought entertainment and escapism to Hampton Roads residents, and he brought it to where they already lived, lighting up commercial strips in walkable residential neighborhoods. 
Thank you for listening. Next time, we'll look at the Newport Theater in Norfolk, Wilder's first foray into owning and operating a neighborhood theater. I hope you'll join us. And until then, may our seats be ever in the center. (laughs) ¶¶